0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We are on a two-part series. Last week Pastor Sai spoke about Agile Nation and we're talking again about Agile Nation. Uh, agile is the ability to move quickly and flexibly. What I do in front of the TV about two, three mornings a week is I try to do Pilates for runners. Go, go Raj. Go, I need all the encouragement I can get. <laughs> Just that I might continue running, that I might continue to move. I, I do some Pilates, and it's painful and it's hard, but it enables me to be a runner. Can we do some Pilates this morning? Can we do some Pilates on our souls to make us agile? For those of you who don't know me and my wife Nicola, this year we'll celebrate 30 years. Mark and Mursha, you are an awesome couple. We followed in your footsteps, but darling, so grateful for you and the incredible 30 years we've had. Um, The couple on the far left are James and Amy, and they're part of the City Bowl Church plant in Cape Town, Um, and as lay people... And that congregation went from 30 to 200 people over lockdown. It's unbelievable. And it's just full of young people. About half of them um, have only come to the Lord in the last two years. And uh, never say that God can't do things. Never say that God can't. So many young UCT students and young professionals have come there. And then the couple in the middle is Sean and Laura, and uh, recently married. They, Sean is serving on campus ministry in Stellenbosch. And I know Pastor Si has got plans for Sean and Laura to to bring them to Johannesburg and to serve. I want to speak to you, before we go to the Word, about those of you who have got struggles in your family. We went through some dark seasons with our boys, and they love God now, and they've married up. Both of them have married incredible women better than them. Both, both their wives are a little bit older than them, but that's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> but we had, we had some dark seasons. James had a real depression at one stage, feeling suicidal. And I just want to say this. Do not be weary in doing good. Do not be weary in doing good. In due season, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So, I want to pray for you if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in your family, if your kids are far from the Lord, if you're fighting with your mother, whatever it is, but I want to pray for your family. So just bow our heads. There's no shame in this, but if you need breakthrough in your family, your marriage, your kids, your just, just lift up your hand now. We're going to pray. Jesus, come down. You did come down. Jesus, come down into every marriage, every family every child, every relationship here present, Lord God. Lord, as we've seen breakthrough before, Lord God, we pray for breakthrough. Lord, that kids would come home, that they'd serve you, that marriages would be restored, Lord God. Lord, there'd be joy, there'd be victory, Lord God, there'd be success and prosperity. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. I want to take you to the, the book of Haggai and, Before we go to the Word, I want to tell you about medieval cathedrals. If any of you have had the privilege of visiting a Gothic medieval cathedral, you'll probably have two emotions. The one is one of, wow, this is so awesome, listen to the organs, check the stained glass windows, what incredible Gothic architecture. That's the one emotion that you have when you go to a cathedral today. The other emotion that you probably have, that I have, is one of deep grief. And I'm unsettled because in the 2,000-seater cathedral, at the front you'll have 20 people worshiping the Lord. If that. I want to take you back a 1,000 years. What were cathedrals? What did they do? The church would strategically say, We're going to go into that place. There's no believers. It's pagan. And we're going to plant a cathedral. And we're going to trust for gospel transformation. Sometimes there were believers, sometimes they weren't. So when we talk about a cathedral, what were they? They were a place from which the gospel was spread. And the entire communities would be transformed. And disciples would be made. It was a place of incredible... Worship and pray and praise. And they had specific rooms in cathedrals for these things. It was a place of, of learning and education. Uh, way before government brought in schooling, it was the cathedrals wherein was education and learning. If you wanted to raise your son or daughter well, you'd send them to the cathedral to learn for, for literacy and education if you didn't have a tutor. There were places of health care, hospitals, It was St. Cyprian, give me a sec, sorry, St. Basil of Caesarea. In 8369, he founded a 300-bed hospital. It was the first large-scale hospital for the seriously ill and disabled. It also cared for victims of the plague. There were hospices, there was a place for isolation, there were wards for travelers, and many believe it was the first Christian hospital hospital built around the first church. Cathedrals were a place of refuge and care for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and the oppressed. In front of the cathedral, they would always establish an open square, and that would be a marketplace that was safe because it would be under the shadow, under the covering, under the aegis of the church. And so business would flourish around the cathedral. It was a place of arts and culture, the Stained glass windows was the first kind of multimedia that anybody had had experienced up to that point. Imagine you've never seen anything and you see a stained glass window. It was the place of incredible leadership development and it was an apostolic sending center. Every nation rose bank. You are called to be that cathedral. And this is what you are doing. This is what you are doing. And even more, this is what you're going to do. And I, it's been a privilege for our boys to grow up in this church and such a rich inheritance. This church has planted so many churches and sent off so many. And it's doing so many of these things. So as we talk about being an agile nation, as we talk about us being agile, you know where it starts with? It starts with me. It starts with us as individuals. The bystander effect where everybody thinks somebody else would do it and nobody does it. It doesn't work in the church. I remember people coming to me when I used to be the senior pastor here, and people would say, I really like your church. And I'd be like, it's not my church, it's Jesus' church, and it's our church. And the church is not the building, it's us together on a mission for God. I want to take you to the book of Haggai. Haggai's one of the minor prophets. When we say a minor prophet, it's not because they were less important, it's because they had the gift of brevity, okay? They were short and to the point, okay? is probably one of the shortest books of the Bible, I think it's the second shortest book of the Bible. And um, background to the book of Haggai, Israel is sinning, and they're repeating it and repeating it. Sexual sins, idol worship, child sacrifice, the most terrible things. And the Lord sends His prophets and speaks to them, and they resist and they reject the prophets and they and they kill many of them. Eventually, God, in His mercy, He disciplines them, and He disciplines them by causing them to be conquered, and most of them taken away from their homeland, and they end up in Babylon. And then there's a miracle. They're there for about 70 years. There's a miracle. King Cyrus, the emperor of that Middle East region, emperor of like the known world at that time, he makes a declaration. He says, the Jews can go back and they can rebuild their temple and give them all their gold and all their precious stuff and bless them as they go. I mean, unprecedented miracle, right? Only 42,000 decide to go. And so they go back. This is the first return. And a man called Zerubbabel, who is descended from the kings, from David. And so they begin to rebuild the house of God. They begin to rebuild the house of God. And at first they're enthusiastic and it's awesome. And then there's distractions and there's discouragement and COVID hits them. <laughs> and after two years, the work of the Lord stops. Just stops. They had... They had one job. You've seen those memes. Yeah. You had one job, right? <laughs> they had one job, <laughs> and it was to restore worship, restore the temple. And, and they're doing fine. They're actually prospering because they've been blessed with a whole lot of things. But they stop rebuilding the house of God. And the word of the Lord comes to them. And this is where we pick up in Haggai. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. The Lord of Angel Armies says this. These people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to to be rebuilt. Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of Angel's Armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never enough to be satisfied. You drink but never enough to be happy. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of the angel army says this. Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills. Bring down lumber and build a house. And I'll be pleased with it and be glorified. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. Why? Because my house still lies in ruins. While each of you is busy with his own house. And then there's just like an incredible response. I pray that my heart would respond to the word of God like they do. I heart that my heart would be tender, soft soil. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord had sent him. So the people feared the Lord, and that word fear is about honor and respect and heeding to him. Then Haggai, in response to their response, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. We bounce forward to chapter 2. And God comes again and he says to them, even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work. For I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of angel armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present amongst you. Don't be afraid, for the Lord of angel armies says this Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, so that the treasure of all the nations will come. It's not gold and silver, by the way. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of Armies. The final glory of this house shall be greater than the first, says the Lord of Angel Armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of Angel Armies. Today, I'm trusting that for some of you it would be a rethink. For some of you it would be a reorientate, which actually means you've been thinking right, but you haven't been doing And for some of you, it would be a a re-encouragement that you've been at it. And what you need is just to hear the encouragement of the Spirit of God. So for some of you, it's going to be a reprocessing, a metanoia, a change of the way you think. For some of you, it's going to be a direction that you start pursuing. And for some of you, it's just going to be a strengthening because you're doing it already. Build God's house and He will build yours. This is a paradox. It's a mystery, and it's the walk of faith. So often we feel like we have to make our own thing happen. (laughs) That if we don't care for our house, nobody will care for us. But as we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things are added to us. Does God want you to have a happy life, happy wife, 2.2 children, Maybe you don't want a wife or two point two children, but but he's got his he's got his blessings for you. But you don't get them from pursuing them; you get them from pursuing the Lord. So, the first thing that strikes me, and as you read scripture I and mean, you look for themes and you look for repetition, is this Yahweh Saboeth, or the Lord of Hosts, or the Lord of Angel Armies. Who is speaking? Who is speaking to us? It's, it's a commander in chief. When I was in the military, I arrived back from leave the one time, and uh, I remember that morning, and there was a signal. That's what they called a the signal. It was an instruction for me to report to PE, it used to be called PE, by that evening. I don't get to choose, I don't get to debate. My opinion is not taken into account. <laughs> it's like the commander has spoken. God is a loving God, and all of His commands are to prosper us and to bless us and to protect us and for our good. But who is speaking? The Lord of angel armies is speaking. He's saying, Build God's house. Recently, we had a, an unprecedented moment <laughs> in my family. My father called uh, me and my brother, and uh, there were accountants and lawyers there. I wasn't an accountant. I'm not against accountants, what I'm going to say now. And uh, it was to discuss the will. You know the joke about if there's a will, I want to be in it. This is, the first, this is the first time I've been in one of those meetings, okay, ever. And um, the lawyers and the accountants, they irritating me, and they're trying to make money, and they've got angles. And me and my brother are st- asking questions. But when my dad spoke, everybody was silent. <laughs> okay, When my dad spoke and, and laid out how this thing is going to work and he's sharing the inheritance between my brother, uh, my two sisters and myself and he's giving us a portion um, before he passes on. But because of who he was, because of his authority, because of his position, when he spoke, everybody listened. Everybody listened. When James went to Vasti, and he got involved in student politics and we'd asked him not to because he'd been junior mayor in Joburg and flew down. I said, my boy, please don't do this. Just join a dancing club and join every nation and <laughs> have some fun. And, uh, and he did. He ended up learning how to soccer and he taught all the English guys how to dance when he came back to Joburg. And I said to him, please, we, we've always tried to explain things to you, but there's a chip missing in your, in your system if you always have to fully get it before you listen. Because it won't go well with you at work. It won't go well with you in life if you always have to have your opinion and be fully understood or fully understand something. There are things in the Word of God. There are things that the Spirit of God says to me, and I just go, Lord, grace me to do it. Grace me to do it. Can we respond to the Lord of angel armies? When He says to us, make disciples. When He says to us, go to the nations. When He says to us, move that we move and we don't go, well, interesting thoughts. Can we, uh, I'll think about it. Who is speaking? It's the commander-in-chief. To James's credit, he listened and he joined other societies and later on he got involved in student politics and we're happy with it then, but he listened to us. Can we listen to what God is saying? What his word says? So they say the time has not come. And it sounds so spiritual. Mm -hmm. And uh, the preface to it is that God says, these people say. These people say. God doesn't say my people say. He says these people say. Um, I knew things were not great at home when Nicholas would say to me, your boys. (laughs) not our boys you know it's your boys now God's doing the same thing he's going these people okay he's so miffed with them he's so frustrated with him that he says these people say the time has not yet come and it, it seems so spiritual but when it comes to other things in terms of timing hey we just know we just make up the time ourselves when it's time to watch Netflix right we don't hear from God for that or when it's the time to book leave or go on holiday, all these other things. There we are experts in leading our own lives. But when it comes the time to build the house of God, then we said, no, no, the time hasn't come. Praise the Lord. And he says, is it time for you to live in paneled houses, which means beautiful houses? When uh, I hand over to Pastor Sa, si, how many years ago? Five years, Five years ago. Shame I handed a problem to Pastor Si. <laughs> And that problem was there were some improvements needed in this building. And we already began the project. You're nodding your head. You remember this well. And Simon got some real flack from some people who said, how can you spend money on this? Now, as a church, we spend money on people. If you're here on a Saturday morning, you'll see what we're doing with the homeless. You'll see what we're doing with people. It's incredible with orphans, all these things. But we needed to just fix some of this building. And Simon got so much flack. That's the problem that I passed on to him. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Simon got so much flack from one particular family. Like, how can you spend money on that? But, but the irony of it was they have the most beautiful house. And not one house, you know. And it's just like, how can you be so bothered about, about that? Whereas the people who didn't have panel houses... A lot of you. You were like, yay! <laughs> I'm glad you're doing this. Can we not be people who are so passionate about our own houses that we're irritated when we advancing the house of God? Um, I went to our Every Nation Build conference in Krakow and. Uh, It was incredible being with the ukrainian pastors and i had breakfast with about 16 south african pastors church planters ireland scotland germany austria belgium everywhere and hearing their faith and hearing their hearts and hearing their sacrifice and and they weren't complaining they were game on they were doing what they called to do and um but this, I always have, have had this little image of a little pastor and his wife playing in the little, praying in their little house at their little kitchen table for God's provision, but they're doing the work of God. And one of the things that I wish that I could be is that person who knocks on the door and is an answer to their prayer and brings them sustenance. May we not drop the rope as we send missionaries and church planters out there. May we truly build the house of God. Westminster Shorter Catechism, this was the early one-to-one. This is what kids were taught. Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And John Piper talks about this. I'm going to focus on the enjoyment for a moment. We've heard of orthodoxy, which is right thinking about life, and about humanity, and about God in particular. That's orthodoxy. And we've heard of orthopraxy, which is about right living. And yes, let's live right. Um, with our boys, we wanted them to have a revelation of God, not just right living. But let's live right, let's think right. But there's something called orthopathos, which is about the right emotions. You know, if I, if I bring Nicola flowers, and uh, I did bring her flowers yesterday, it was before the marriage course said, bring your wife flowers, you know? <laughs> well Went for a run and got some flowers at the spa. Um, when I give her flowers and she says to me, oh, thank you, you shouldn't have. And I go, well, well I did it because I had to. <laughs> I mean, it's just game over, right? <laughs> it's the end of a beautiful evening, correct? <laughs> There's no joy in her receiving a gift that that I'm not into. And the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And we're not, we're not meant to be begrudging in our service and our honor and our worship and our sacrifice for God. It should be, Jesus, you have given so much to me. What a privilege that I get to partner with you, that I get to bring my little five loaves and two fish, and you multiply it, and you do incredible things the chief end of man is to glorify God. Are we glorifying God? And to enjoy Him, and it's to—and some people say it's too, you do it at the same time. You glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Man. But that you can read um, Desiring God by John Piper if you want to. But there's no doubt our hearts are meant to be in it. So as I'm talking to you, if, if your heart is troubled, and my heart has been troubled at times, if, my heart, if your heart is selfish or... Up, wrapped up in its own thing, then, then bring it before the Lord and acknowledge it and, and get prayer, but don't stay in that place of your heart not being where it's supposed to be. That's an image of the World Conference. And we, we had the same scripture. I didn't know we were going we're gonna to use it as we prayed for Liberia. But going to the World Conference reminds me of what we're doing reminds me of what heaven is going to look like. Every tribe and tongue gathered together and worshiping God. And that's why we called every nation. That's why we deliberately build a multicultural church. You've heard the green people, blue people story. Imagine if there were only green people and blue people in the world. And they decided to build a church together. The green people would find the church a little bit too blue, right? And the blue people would find the, little, the church a little bit too green. But to the glory of God, they would do it. To the glory of God, they would build a church that's green and blue. Can we do that? Can we work to see the nations one for God? And can we as every nation, Rosebank, be a holographic model of what what heaven is meant to be like? Simon shared a little bit of this. I'm going to just add one more touch to it. When Cape Town built their building they sold one part and had to build another part and we were relying upon the guarantees to build the second part and it was quite a lot of money that we thought was going to come in about 10 million and the banks wouldn't provide it so we had a six month gap of 10 million rand a lot of money a lot of stress and um, a number of people came to the party businessmen here in Joburg and um, so they liquidated their assets and they lent the church, and the church paid them back May, June, um, interest-bearing. Turned out to be like the most genius investment ever. Because if you know what happened with Ukraine and Russia and the stock market, you know? they sold here, and now they get the money here so they can buy cheap here again. So one of them said to me, Have you got any more investments like this that we can <laughs> invest, in invest in the house of the Lord? And it's just such a testimony of seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah. They didn't do it to make money. They were liquidating the assets and they were putting themselves out there so we could build that for the glory of God. But as they sought first the kingdom of God, God blessed and God provided. So rethink is a metanoia, a change of your mind. Reorientate is, is your actions and it's go up into the hills. Literally ascend, rise up, get out of the mud that you're in. Get off your Rusty, dusty, and rise up and start doing things for God. Bring down lumber, the most um, spoken of creation. The word in Hebrew, lumber, wood, trees, whether alive or dead, it's the same. And um, apart from humanity, wood is the most, or, or trees are the most spoken of thing. And trees are analogized to humans. Psalm 1 is like a tree planted by streams of water. Okay, so we are the trees. And what are we called to do? We're called to rise up and bring the trees in. This isn't talking about money as much as talking about us going out there and shining Jesus and bringing people into the house of God that it might be built up. And it's not just here. It's also us going. As T.M. said on the video, pray, give, go. All of us can pray. Most of us can give. And a lot of us can go even if it's on a short-term mission. And he says to them, be strong, work, I am with you. I will fill this house with greater glory and I will provide peace. During World War I, the the Germans put up these posters, God is with us, Gott mit uns. And the English put up these posters, God with us. They're fighting each other, but they're both saying God is with us. (laughs) How do you know that God is with us? How do you know that God is with you? You know it if you are heeding his voice and you're doing what you're called to do. It's not just through a prayer, God be with me now as I go do my own thing. It's as you align your life to the purposes of God. As you build the house of God. As you lay down your life. As you take up your cross. As you pursue him. Then he's with us. And his presence is with us. Who wants more of the presence of God? We all do. Who says, nobody's going to say no. How do we get it? By aligning our lives to become a place where God just wants to pour out His blessing and His presence. And this is the encouragement. We do our little bit, and then He brings a revival. I will shake the nations so that the treasure will come, and I'll fill its house with my glory. Study the history of revivals. Study what God has done it. It just took a few to be faithful in prayer, to be faithful in, in reaching out to their neighbor, to be faithful in sending the Moravian missionaries, and God does it. I just this week got this book. I was in Poch last week, Clockway, and they gave this to me by Craig Rochelle, Lead Like It Matters, and he said this. We need to recognize that our friends, families, neighbors, and nations desperately Need Jesus. Many don't show it. Many don't reveal it. Many don't even know it. But Jesus is the only panacea. He's the only panacea to the broken world. When we love deeply, we do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. Who of you have a problem and are single with like cleaning up vomit? if you're a single person, when you get married and it's your baby, you will get over that so fast. You will get over that so quickly. Love will, sorry to use gross terms, but when we love, we do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. When, when churches are inward orientated, you know what we're basically saying? We're saying to non-believers, you can just go to hell. When we as a church are not warm to visitors, I hope you greet people that you don't know when you come to church. I hope you volunteer to serve as a door greeter. Um, I hope we think about our church. I hope that you reach out to non-believers. Love overcomes any obstacles. You will... Climb over a wall to get to the one that you love. You will knock on a door at night. You will do whatever it takes to get to her. Love overcomes obstacles. Have you ever been to a restaurant or a nightclub or a company that has got it? That in undefinable sense of it's happening. Have you ever been to those places? A church that has got it. There's music playing there. A church that has got it reaches that it's not just the pastor's job yeah. to reach out. But it's everybody's job. So, as we head for a close, a couple more slides. Are you praying for non-believers? Mm-hmm. Who are those individuals? Because if you can't to pray for non-believers, how are you going to pray for the nations? When was the last time you had somebody at your home not for rugby or a bra? Maybe it was on top of a rugby and a bra, but you had people at your home for the sake of the gospel. How many meaningful conversations did you have with non-believers this past week? I started a new group this week and the one guy, as he starts talking, first time in the group, he just starts crying. unchurched. He's never been here. We met just see the impact of hearing the good news yeah. of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you spoke your faith? Don't don't have Jesus as your secret lover, your side dish. Nobody knows that you love Him. When was the last time you spoke about Him? And and what nation is on your heart? These nations, and I think it's 32 of them. We are in as every nation. I mean, you can't get the details of it because they're undercover. But there's varying degrees to which it is dangerous to be a Christian in these nations. But the people that are there, they are. It is my joy to share the gospel yeah. to those who don't know. There is revival breaking out in Iran, India, China. It's 100 million Christians in China, despite what the Communist Party tries to do. Let's wrap it up. God's response to us as we align to Him is I'm with you. Can we rethink our priorities? Rethink our values? Can we reorientate? And by that, I mean start to do the things that you're called to do. And for those of you who are doing it, encourage yourself and remind yourself in this. You are building a cathedral to the glory of God. I came across three men with spades. I asked them what they're doing. The one said, I'm digging a ditch. The second said, I think I'm building a church. And the third said, I'm building a cathedral, an apostolic center to the glory of God that is going to touch the nations forever. Can we change the way we see things and be re-encouraged? God bless you.